Will you stand for the reading of our scripture for this morning? Our scripture comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 11 through 14. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. Two weeks ago, um, our staff here at Pittman Park um, got to take a retreat, and I love a retreat. Like a staff retreat is one of my favorite things to be around. The people that you're doing work with, you're leading with day after day, um, is just an incredible gift. And so uh, we took a retreat to the Orange Tour, which happened to be down uh, in Orlando, which meant a couple of things. Number one, it meant that we'd be traveling on I-95 South. Which means you have two opportunities to stop at Bucky's, friends. Two opportunities to go in and see all of the jerky and all of the brisket. And uh, my favorite part of, of Bucky's, though, um, is like this wall of nuts, right? Like there's cashews and there's peanuts, and then there's, there's just the best that they have to offer, which is the uh, praline pecans. I mean, like I could just eat a whole bag of praline pecans. Love to stop there. We had a lot of fun, took some great pictures with Bucky, and then made our way on down to Orlando where. Uh, we got to have dinner together as a staff, enjoy a good meal before heading to the conference the next morning. And I'm really excited about what we learned at this conference and excited to see how Becca and Megan are going to plug um, what we're learning um, into our ministry so that we can not only minister to children and youth, but so that we can really minister to families. Because the reality is for all of our children that if they came to church every Sunday, um, to worship every Sunday morning, we'd only see them for about 52 hours in a year. That's not a whole lot of time. That's two days out of 365 that the church has influence. Parents have greater influence over their children than the church will ever have. The temperature you set in your households is important, and so we want to be a church that comes alongside families as they grow up and as they grow in Christ. And as this morning, as we continue our ser sermon series on fear, I want to share with you a little bit about what we learned at Orange. During the first session of the conference, um, Reggie Joyner, uh, who is the leader of Orange, came out and he began to talk about what we've all experienced over the past two years. This was their first opportunity at Orange, really, uh, to be in person in Orlando in two years. And so um, he was expressing how thankful he was. But he summed up the entire pandemic experience in one word, and that word is this, pain, pain. We went through two years of trauma during the pandemic, two years of strained relationships, two years of losing friends and family members, two years of disinformation and misinformation, coloring our politics, our relationships, the pain of disruption, it was pain after pain after pain that we experienced collectively. And nothing captures our attention like pain. 
Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, growing up, when I was uh, in high school, um, I broke my pinky toe. Right? I broke my pinky toe. And for whatever reason, that has caused me um, to, to be susceptible to breaking my pinky toe again and again and again. So about once a year, I stub my toe real good and I break it. Now, the pinky toe is a very small part of your body, right? But every time I take a step, I can feel it. How about this? Have you ever had a toothache? Do you know how small teeth are? Right? But if you have a toothache, you can feel your heartbeat in your temples, right? And that pain from that toothache or that broken toe, it affects every part of your life. And two years of pain that we've experienced through the pandemic has affected every single part of our life. And pain, it's an accelerant. Nothing, nothing accelerates our feelings like pain. Nobody likes pain. Nobody enjoys pain. But there's consequences to going through seasons of trauma and pain. The first is fear. That's where we've been throughout this sermon series. When we experience pain, most of us recoil out of fear because we don't want to experience that again. If I could just not have, I don't know, door jams around the house, my toes would be better for it. And I'd be less fearful. I don't want the pain of a broken toe again. And so we become afraid. We become afraid. We become fearful. And the fear that is a normal emotion that we should all experience from time to time, time to time, becomes a condition that controls every part of our lives. Our country is more afraid now. Our world is more afraid now, I believe, than it ever has been. And that pain and that anger combined, or excuse me, that pain and that fear combined to cause us to get angry. I don't think there's ever been a season in American history where people have been as angry as they are right now. And y'all, we've got another month of midterm elections. You can laugh, but it hurts, doesn't it? Are you tired of hearing people yell on your TV? I would say at other people, but really at you? It's enough to make you angry. We're angry because we don't want what happened during the pandemic to happen again, and we're willing to fight. We're willing to fight. And that anger is bled over into every part of our culture because pain causes fear and pain causes anger and pain and anger and fear all combine together to cause us to become suspicious. If you notice that in America, we don't trust anyone anymore. We always believe that everyone has an ulterior motive. We, we want to make sure that every word that anyone ever speaks is fact-checked two, three, four, five times. We have a crisis of trust in our culture. And friends, we have a crisis of trust in the church. The suspicion that has invaded our culture has invaded the pews. We have a hard time trusting one another, and it all stems back to pain, fear, and anger. The good news is, though, that we aren't the first people in history to experience collective pain that led to fear and anger and suspicion. This is exactly what the Israelites experienced when they were defeated and taken off into exile in Babylon. Now, if you haven't heard the term exile before or, about, or anything about the Babylonian exile, what you need to know is that there was a time in Jewish history when their country was invaded by the Babylonian Empire, the city of Jerusalem sacked, 
And the leaders, the culture makers inside of the country were carted off 500 miles away to a place called Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. It's almost like they came in and kidnapped an entire country and resettled them, moved them to another place. And this exile becomes one of the defining moments of Jewish history. Really, there are two defining moments in Jewish history. The first is the exodus, whenever God frees the Hebrew people from bondage and slavery in Egypt and delivers them into a land that is promised, a land flowing with milk and honey. You know these stories, don't you? The exile, though, is the other defining moment. If Jewish identity is formed in the exodus, Jewish memory is formed in the exile. See, much of the Old Testament is written through the lens of the exile. If you read First and Second Kings, you realize that the people who are writing there are reflecting back on the kings who led them to the place where they are today. That's why nearly every king is corrupt and broken because everyone's reflecting back. They're using their collective memory as they think about how they got to this place. Exile colors the collective memory of the Jewish people. So the exile is a time of pain, a time of fear, a time of anger, a time of suspicion. And Psalm 137 chronicles this, the way that the people felt the disappointment and despair that these people are living in. Listen to these words that the psalmist writes. He says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. We sat and wept when we remembered what we had lost. We had lost our land. We had lost our homes. We had lost the temple of God. Everything that we knew, everything that defined us is now in shambles. It's all in ruins. It's broken, never to be put back together again. And they're asking us to sing. This is what verse 2 says. There were poplars. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing the songs of Zion. Then listen to this statement of pain. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? I think for many of us, the land that we live in today is a foreign land. Two years of pain and trauma from the pandemic have led us to a place that none of us have ever experienced before. We live in a land, as I said earlier, of pain, of fear, of anger, of suspicion. It's a place where at times it's tough to find joy and hope. So if you feel like today you're living in a land that's foreign to you, if you're living in a place where you can't seem to make things go or figure out which way is up, the first thing I want you to know is that God sees you. God sees you right where you are today. When we walk through foreign lands, when we go through seasons of pain, seasons of fear, seasons of anger, seasons of suspicion, even when we're in these foreign places, God sees us. Why? Because God loves us. We talked about that last week. You don't have to be afraid because God loves you. And because God loves you, God sees you. God sees the hurts. God sees the pain. God sees 
the fear that you're experiencing. In Psalm 137, it's a heartfelt cry for God to put things back to the way they used to be. To the way that things were. But the people of Israel are in a season where that's just not possible. What they want most is deliverance. What they want most is to go back home, back to the place where they felt comfortable and safe. Back to the place where things were normal. I feel that way every now and again. I just wish we could go back to the way things used to be. And what's interesting, when we feel that way, God raises up prophets to speak to us. And God raises up a prophet named Jeremiah to speak to the people who are in exile in Babylon. And he comes with a different kind of word than what the people would have been expecting. So if you have your Bible with you, open up to Jeremiah chapter 29 and In verse 4, God has a word for the people who are in exile, who've seen their past erased um, through the invasion of the Babylonian army and their captivity and their exile there in Babylon. Then God speaks to the prophet saying this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, excuse me, to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what I say to you. Build houses. And settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God says to a people who are in a season of life where they feel paralyzed, where they feel helpless, disappointed, and dismayed, God says to them, stop trying to go back. Stop trying to run away from this season. Stop living in fear. Stop living angry and filled with suspicion. Instead, God says to build. We're in a down market right now, right? It's not a good time to build, but God says build, plant, multiply, marry. Let me flip that back to the right way. Marry and then multiply. (laughs) Lest we get that out of order. Pray for your city. Pray for your people. Pray for the people who are around you and work for their good. Work for the good of the place where you happen to live. What? God, are you serious? How can we build and plant and multiply and pray in this place, in this season, in this foreign land, in Babylon, in exile, in this changed world where everything seems to be upside down? How can we do that here? Is that really what you want for us? Yes. I think God would say. In every season of life, build Plant, marry, multiply, pray, work for the good of the place where you live and the people that you live with. Keep going forward, keep pressing into God's presence and into God's grace. Keep hold of the mission and purpose God has for your life, but keep moving. Regardless of the season of life we are in, God is calling us to help build up others to help build up community, to build deeper and stronger relationships with the people around us. 
And to build our faith, don't miss out on that, friends. You can't do any of the rest of that without building up your faith, growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. The season you're in in life shouldn't dictate whether or not you are faithful to the God who has saved you, who's redeemed you and called you his own. Regardless of the season, God invites us, he invites his people to plant seeds of hope, seeds of faith and new life in our own hearts and in the hearts and lives of the people who are around us. Regardless of the season, God invites his people to marry and multiply. But another way to think about it is that God is inviting us to invite others into God's presence, to grow our influence and our relationships to multiply the kingdom in the place where we find ourselves. And regardless of the season, God invites his people to pray and to work for the good of our community. That means serving others and caring for the needs of those around us. Last night, I got to go to the NAACP gala. And throughout the night, over and over again, there was a call to serve. To serve for the sake of others. To serve so that those who find themselves in bondage and in captivity can find their way to freedom, to serve, and to love. God calls us to do the same. God calls us to work for the good of our community so that all might know freedom. And to do so without fear to build, to plant, to marry, to multiply, to pray, to work for the good of our community without fear, without being afraid. Why? Because everything you are experiencing in life, the great triumphs, the terrible tragedies, the hopes, the hurts, the normal days that feel flat and mundane, every part of your life, of our life together, is being woven together to accomplish God's plan for the redemption of the world. Your life, with all of its triumphs and tragedies, is being woven into the tapestry of God's great redemption of the whole of creation. So your life matters. And your life has influence and can make an impact for Jesus Christ, even here and now in this foreign land. In fact, in just a few verses later in, Isaiah, excuse me, in Jeremiah, God says to the people in exile, and in pain, who are questioning what God is doing among them and through them. He says to take heart. Why? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans I have for you. Which means when you don't have the plan, God still does. When you can't see the way that you should go, God can direct your steps. Oh, let me make that stronger. God will direct your steps. When you don't have clarity, God will be your vision and be your insight. God's wisdom will guide you and direct you. You may not know the plans for your life, but God knows the plan that God has for you, that God has for us. And listen to what that plan sounds like. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We live in one of the most hopeless seasons of life right now. Doesn't it seem like our culture is just hopeless? God's plan is for hope and a future. Then God says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, 
and I'll bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. That doesn't mean that God's going to rewind everything and restart the tape back before the exile. It means that the exile, it means that our time spent in this foreign land will become a part of the story that God is writing with our lives. And God's desire in this moment, in this season, in this land, is that we would build, plant, marry, multiply, pray, and work for the good of our community in every season of life. Because God has a plan for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. And that's not vain optimism, friends. That is hope that is grounded in the redemptive work of God which culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I can have hope that overcomes my fear in life because no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter what I am facing, no matter what lies ahead of you, you can know that your future is secure in Christ because God has the plan even when you don't. But fear, when it moves from being an emotion we experience to becoming a condition that controls us, it will work to rob us of our hope. It will work to rob us of our future. And so my hope and my prayer for us this morning is that above the voice of pain, of fear, of anger and suspicion, that we would listen for the voice of God speaking confidence and courage into our story and into this season of our life. God's voice speaking above all the other voices, saying, press in, push on, keep going. My glory is coming on the earth, and you get to be a part of it. I know you can't see it, but I've got a plan. And by the way, I wrote the end of the story. So may we, in every season of life, cling to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ that he has overcome the world through his death and resurrection, and that God is working all things together for the good and for his pleasing and perfect plan. Our hope is not in the stock market which goes up and down. It's not in the weather which can be hot one day and cold the next. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who overcame death that we might have eternal life through him. This hope is secure, and you can fear not, because God has a plan for you, for me, and for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we have lived in fear, out of places of pain. We have become angry and suspicious of the people around us. Forgive us for all the ways that pain, fear, anger, and suspicion have kept us from keeping our focus on your will for us, your mission for us, and your purpose for our lives, God. Forgive us. And help us in these moments, Lord, as we draw near to you. Help us to take heart, knowing that you have overcome the world 
that you've not abandoned us or forsaken us, but that you tell us again and again and again to fear not. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live courageously and confidently even in this foreign land. Help us to be a church and a people who are a beacon of light, a beacon of hope, a beacon of love for this community. Let us build, plant, marry, multiply, pray, and work for the good of this city, for this nation, for this world. In Jesus' name, amen.